Warning. The average cost of a one-bedroom apartment in Vancouver is so high, even if someone who is working at minimum wage full-time was having their transit paid for, all of their food paid for, their hobbies or whatever else they need paid for, they would not be able to afford a one-bedroom apartment from their full-time minimum wage job. So ju- I mean, just to be <laughs> like fully clear here, if 100% of a full-time minimum wage worker's job was going towards their rent, that income would be insufficient to pay the average rent in Vancouver right now. And that's that's only rent. That's not... Yeah, it's, it's not clothing. It's not food. It's not transportation. It's not entertainment. It's not anything else. Like, just rent. Just rent. It's not like, oh, the, the minimum wage isn't a living wage. It's not enough wage. to live on. It's, yeah, like... <laughs> it's just not even enough to pay After I pay rent. my rent, I've got almost nothing left. No, it's after you pay your rent, you've actually incurred debt because <laughs> the cost of rent is higher than the total amount of money you'd be getting minimum wage. Warning. Warning. Welcome back to the Seriously Wrong Podcast. Uh, I'm Sean, and this is Aaron. Hey. Yeah, so we do this show um, every week out of uh, Vancouver, which is a major city in Canada, if you're not <laughs> yeah, aware. If you didn't know. <laughs> we don't often talk about Vancouver stuff. We tend to jump all over the place. Mm-hmm. This is going to be a very Vancouver-focused episode. So anyone looking for a window into the wonderful world of Vancouver British Columbia. This is it. This is for you. We've got a, an awesome interview today with Jean Swanson, a longtime anti-poverty activist in Vancouver. She's pretty well known around the downtown east side, the poorest postal code in Canada. Also the postal code now with the most bars of any postal code in Canada because of uh, gentrification. So, and she's actually running for city council right now in Vancouver. We got a by-election that wraps up on October 14th. October 14th is voting day. And uh, she's been kind of pushed... There was a campaign to convince her to run, and she agreed to run. And she's been doing a really killer job of drawing attention to some of like the major issues affecting people in Vancouver, lower income people in general, but also specifically homeless people and, and people who live in the downtown east side. So, I mean, even from where I'm sitting and like my income level, which is upper lower class or very lower middle class, mm-hmm. the rental market is fucking nuts right now in vancouver like have you tried to get a place recently you've been here for a while yeah i've been wanting to move just because this place has mice and occasionally cockroaches though the new manager has been very on top of having cockroach killers come in and so that hasn't really been a problem but yes it's it's an old building and i was like maybe i'll find a basement suite that's cheaper i just bought a really old car so maybe i can afford to be a little bit further away from central than i am right now but like i haven't found anything that's a better deal than this place because i've lived here five years and i'm still paying rent that's like i imagine if i was to move out they would probably hike up the rent 
uh, quite a bit. Oh yeah, definitely. I think the average cost of a one bedroom apartment in Vancouver right now is 2000 and something. Yeah. I'm paying 970 for this like old <laughs> one, <laughs> which is pretty good, but pretty shitty. Like it's hard. <laughs> it's, it's like, it's, it's pretty expensive for like one person on a yeah, lower yeah, yeah. end wage to be paying. <laughs> it is. It sucks. I had a great thing. Well, it's complicated, but I was couch surfing for two months recently. <laughs> yeah. So I was paying less than uh, market rent, obviously, because I was sleeping on a couch and I didn't have my own door and I didn't have to ha get to really have my own things there. Mm -hmm. And that was pretty cool for only paying like $350 a month instead of paying 700 to 1000 <laughs> But there's some really negative effects to couch surfing as well. Not the least of which is just losing all your privacy. Yeah. Oh yeah but I found that. a new place. I've just moved in uh, for October. <laughs> I'm really excited because I managed to find a place for $600 a month for a room, which is like really, really good right now. Yeah. Two roommates for $600 in a basement suite that the ceilings are five foot nine and I'm six <laughs> foot one. Five nine ceilings. God. I should be fair to this basement suite and say <laughs> in certain areas it's at least six foot two. Don't want to hurt the basement suites. Yeah. Feeling. There's chunks of the house I can stand fully up in. What about your bedroom? Depending on what corner of the bedroom oh, I'm okay. in. Okay. Yeah. But there's also, there's like a vent that goes through my bedroom. Mm -hmm. So I can't, I can stand up on either side of it. <laughs> um, but there's like a vent down the middle, which I have to fully duck underneath. Oh yeah. The middle that sucks that it's not in the corner. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> one of the corners. Also the shower in my new place. The bathroom is one of the shorter rooms of the house. Mm -hmm. And then the bathtub is slightly raised off the ground of an already short room. I can't stand up fully in the shower. So if I want to wash under my arms, I have to do like a full squat in my shower. <laughs> it's like living in a tiny man's house. It's like it's like it's like I'm visiting a gnome cousin <laughs> and like here use our little shower and it's like you just have to squat over and it works just fine yeah i think if i could stand fully up in my shower the place where the shower head is pointing would point down like at my chest or my stomach <laughs> like it's a really small shower yeah i would hate that i'm sorry yeah it's all right it's better than living on a couch um, yeah i would also i would hate that even more <laughs> Yeah, so it's a pretty dire like housing situation right now. And the homelessness count is the biggest it's ever been in Vancouver, which is why it's really cool that Gene's running for city council and, and talking about these issues in a really unflinching and, and kind of awesome way. Yeah, she wants to do a rent freeze. And like, that would just be great for me, like four year rent freeze. I'd, I'll stay in this place for four more years. <laughs> Yeah, and the four-year rent freeze proposal is based on another place. I think it was done in New York or something like that, where they had a rent freeze for a couple of years. Mm -hmm. And that's where the campaign got that idea. Another one of the policy ideas out of Jean's camp that I really, really like, she's proposing a mansion tax. Any house in Vancouver that's worth over $5 million will be taxed extra, like an extra 1% or something. And there's some fucking mansions in Vancouver. Like, I hadn't seen a lot of them until I started delivery driving, but... I've driven to a lot of places in Vancouver that I wouldn't have had reason to go to otherwise. And yeah, just certain like giant fucking houses, like sometimes interacting with leftists on the internet and stuff, I'll like think back to the house I grew up in and it's pretty big and be like, oh damn, I'm, I'm a terrible bougie person because my parents have a big house. But then I saw these houses and I was like, oh. So and you visited you visited an area of Vancouver recently that has some interesting um, road rules or 
<laughs> yeah, I was driving around and I stumbled into this area that it was just like entering equestrian neighborhood, 30 kilometers per hour. And I was like, equestrian neighborhood? I feel like that has something to do with horses. And this is weird. So I'm just driving down the roads and they're like seeing horse poop. And I'm like, yeah, I guess people have horses. These are some really big houses with like large fenced off yards that like I can see that they might have horses and stables and these things. And then I saw at least two people actually driving their horses <laughs> or <laughs> riding their horses. But yeah, it was weird, like sharing the road in Vancouver in 2017 with horses, especially my 1995 Honda Civic. And I was like, I wonder if they're judging me for my old <laughs> crappy car they oh, paid a thousand dollars for. <laughs> 1995 Honda Civic where it's hooves where are the hooves <laughs> so yeah that was weird like I honestly was just like I've stumbled into an alternate dimension like I Vancouver's not that big and I just didn't know there was space for this I didn't know that this ex <laughs> this existed here I didn't know that there was horse neighborhoods like <laughs> for rich people and their horses but there is so if you have a shit ton of money and you want to buy a mansion with horses, uh, Vancouver's got a neighborhood for you. Today's episode of Seriously Wrong is brought to you by Lord for Lord Online Dating. Trying to date as a landlord is hard because a lot of people don't understand your plight. They don't understand what it's like to have these tenants demanding things from you all the time. Like, come fix my place. I can't afford the rent. You know, there's a lot of costs that come with being a landlord. First, you got to pay your property taxes. Then you got to get the tenants to pay the mortgage for you. It's just, it goes on and on. One of these days, it's just like, I'm going to sell. I'm going to sell, honestly. It's getting crazy. And then dating on top of that, people are saying like, well, at least you own extremely expensive property in this huge housing market where you've got a million dollar property. At least you've got a million dollars of assets, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, hello, do you have any idea how stressful it is collecting rent once a month? It's hard. I used to be more open-minded. I'd go out on dates with people who rent, who are tenants, but all of a sudden they're talking about landlords like they're these terrible people. And I'm like, uh, hello, boner killer. We at Lord for Lord Dating have heard these stories countless times, and we knew it was time to launch a landlords-only dating service to keep the riffraff out with all their ideas about economic justice, affordable housing, being able to continue living in the city that you grew up in because of an out-of-control rental market. Boring. Lord for Lord online dating. Because tenants just don't get it. Okay, everyone, I'm, I'm here with Gene Swanson, who's a candidate for City Hall here in Vancouver and also a longtime anti-poverty activist, well-known in Vancouver's downtown east side. Maybe first, Gene, if you want to introduce yourself and, and let us know uh, how you got to be involved in politics. Yeah, so I'm Gene Swanson, and I got involved in politics in 1974. I was slinging beer at the Patricia Hotel I was a single parent, and uh, I would see on the TV in the pub Bruce Erickson and Libby Davies, who worked for this organization called the Downtown Eastside Residents Association. And they were doing good things. At least it seemed to me they were good. I'd never done anything political before. But one of the things they were doing was trying to get the beer parlors so they wouldn't overserve. And my boss has showed me a picture of Bruce Erickson and told me, watch out for that guy. He'll turn you in. And I thought, well, he should turn me in if I overserve. So anyway, when they would come into the beer parlor and I would talk to them and 
after a couple of months, I asked him for a job. And back then, what were the priorities in the downtown east side? What type of work were you doing? So it was 1974 when I started Adira, and we worked on closing down tax buyers. There were these guys that were ripping people off by buying their taxes and getting the money from the government and not paying the full amount back to the person. We worked on trying to get the Carnegie Center opened as a community center and trying to get liquor laws enforced in the pubs. And we worked on trying to get a new standards of maintenance bylaw passed, which we did, which is the one that isn't enforced now. And we didn't work on homelessness because there wasn't nearly as much as there is now. Just about anybody could get a home if they if they wanted because governments were building thousands of units of social housing then. Welfare rates were high enough to pay the rent and eat. And you could always get a room in an SRO if, if worse came to worse. So in this transition from that time to this time, what what were the changes that created the homelessness problem? Like in 74, there, there wasn't the degree of homelessness, but now the newest homeless count in Vancouver is the highest it's ever been. Is this something that's just inevitable or is this caused by decisions being made somewhere? So about the time that my activist career began, the Business Council on National Issues, which is, is a very powerful corporate think tank, and the Fraser Institute, which was a BC-based powerful corporate think tank, started pushing out all kinds of policies that gave to the rich and took from the poor. They wanted privatization. They wanted free trade. They wanted cuts to taxes for the rich. They wanted cuts to programs for the poor. They talked about had the deficit as though it was the arch evil, arch foe of the entire planet. And they were extremely effective in pushing their message out and in getting politicians, right-wing politicians, to adopt those messages and implement their policies. And so for the last 40 years, we've had austerity policies, and they have really given to the rich, taken from the poor, and created the homeless situation that we have, the poverty situation that we have. It's been pretty bad, but I, I'm optimistic that things are beginning to turn around now. <laughs> there was this uh, great video I saw online of, I guess it was a group of activists from the downtown east side who had uh, taken over the city hall chamber and then you were in the mayor's seat passing motions. A crowd of demonstrators barged into Vancouver City Hall this morning, occupying the mayor's office, disrupting a city council meeting as you saw, sitting in councillors' chairs, all to make their message inescapably clear. Homelessness is not an issue local politicians can afford to move slowly on. Artina Lovegreen was there. Two dozen protesters stormed council chambers today, demanding that the city act now on the issue of social housing and calling on officials to do more to end homelessness. The city responded by saying they will discuss the issue at a later time, but that didn't sit well with the protesters. Tax the rich to house the poor! Tax the rich to house the poor! Tax the, the chanting and disruption prompted councillors to leave, and the protesters took advantage of the empty chamber to run the meeting they were hoping to have. Jean Swanson of the Carnegie Community Action Project took the chair of Mayor Gregor Robertson. The protesters quote-unquote passed several motions, the first being to fulfill the promise to build 100% social housing at welfare and pension rates at 58 West Hastings and the same for 105 Kiefer Street in Chinatown. 
The second was to stop displacing 10 cities. This comes in the wake of yesterday's news when a B.C. Supreme Court judge granted an injunction to evict homeless campers at 950 Main Street. And lastly, the protesters passed a motion to ensure owners of privately owned SROs meet maintenance bylaws. That's a reference to the recent eviction at the Balmoral Hotel. People are dying of homelessness. It's urgent. We need immediate action. Winter is coming. We have over 2,000 homeless people on the street in Vancouver. There's even shelters are only enough shelters for less than half of them. The tent city is being evicted. We just lost 173 rooms at the Balmoral Hotel. People are going to die of homelessness. They are dying of homelessness. Somebody has to do something now, starting now. The protesters say that they won't be backing down and they will continue the fight for social housing. Meanwhile, I spoke to City Councillor Kerry Jang, who says he understands their frustration and shares their frustration, but there is a process that needs to take place when it comes to these motions, and that is what needs to be followed here. Tina Lovegreen, CBC News, Vancouver. How did you take over City Hall? Who who was involved with that? What was the thrust of that that activist uh, effort to to, <laughs> to commandeer the mayor's seat? Right now, before well before I started running for this by election, I was working at the Carnegie Community Action Project, and they're part of a coalition called Our Homes Can't Wait, which is made up of most of the resident-based groups in the downtown east side, and has four demands for housing on 10 lots in the downtown east side, well, 100% welfare pension rate housing on four lots in the downtown east side, a rent freeze, and to buy 58 West Hastings, which is a big site in the downtown east side. There's currently a garden on it and use that for 100% welfare pension rate housing. So last August, August of 2016, we got the mayor down in the downtown east side and we asked him to come to a meeting and we basically got him to sign a statement saying that we could have the 100% welfare pension rate housing at 58 West Hastings, or at least that he would bring it to rezoning by June 2017. So that had passed. And we were trying to think of some sort of action to show the council that housing and homelessness are an extreme priority in the downtown east side since they weren't taking it as a priority. So we just basically decided to go up there and interrupt the council meeting and make some motions of our own. There was about 25 of us and we kind of went in in small groups with the most recognizable of us going last. And when we all got in there, we just started shouting, our homes can't wait. Our homes can't wait. And they shut down a council meeting. And then we had designated speakers on a number of topics. One was the tent city. We wanted the city to stop harassing it and to provide the facilities it needs. One was on 58 West Hastings, and there was a couple of other ones. And so our spokespeople got up and made motions and the council members listened. And then they said, when we asked for action on those motions, they said, well, they consider it in due course or something to that effect. So we just started chanting, our homes can't wait again. And they all left. After a while, somebody said that I should get in the mayor's chair. So I did. And we, I sat up there and we passed all of our motions, <laughs> passed them all unanimously with all of us sitting in the council chairs and in the mayor's chair. Yeah, it was fun. And now they have all kinds of security up there. So whenever they see us coming, they try and make it hard to come in. <laughs> the current municipal government here, uh, Vision Vancouver, the current mayor, he was elected in was it 2008 uh, on the promise of ending homelessness in Vancouver. They later kind of changed it to ending street homelessness. And it's kind of ambiguous whether they've even done that. Are they 
taking the issue of homelessness seriously enough? Well, no, they aren't, or I wouldn't be running against them. I've been fighting them ever since they were in, trying to get them to stop gentrification because they have policies in the downtown east side that are uh, bringing in all kinds of condos, which are pushing up property values, which are pushing up taxes and rents, and hundreds of uh, low-income SRO rooms have been lost to gentrification. They're Instead of renting at the welfare rate, they're now renting some of them at $1,400 a month for a single room with a bathroom down the hall. And they have done nothing to stop that from happening. As well, when you talk about um, trying to get federal or provincial money for social housing, they just don't talk about the actual amount that's needed. They don't push for what's actually needed and they don't put enough of their the city's own money into social housing. So yeah, it's a real huge problem. And they try to manipulate it by, you know, people say we need new social housing and they want to look like they're providing social housing. So they changed the definition of social housing. You know, people used to think that social housing meant housing for low-income people, but then they changed the, dish, the definition so that uh, no low-income people are guaranteed spaces in social housing, except in the downtown east side. So um, yeah, they've been really sneaky about it and they haven't really gone after what's needed. They haven't treated it as a crisis. They basically have the attitude of, well, my hands are tied. It's a federal provincial responsibility. We can't do anything. And then they don't really push for it or engage citizens in pushing the other levels of government, which is what I'd hope to do if I get elected. One of the things that you'd mentioned is social housing that's 100% welfare rate housing. Something that comes to mind, are, are people, I hear that idea criticized that there needs to be mixed development where some of the building is welfare rate housing and some of it is not. People will uh, frame it in terms of put all the welfare rate housing together, you're going to create like a ghetto or a negative situation. A uh, ghetto is a place where people who have been excluded by others from other places try and build a community. <laughs> so for example, some people might say that Chinatown was a ghetto but it was populated by people who were excluded from all other parts of Vancouver, and they were trying to build a community in Chinatown. Same with the Powell Street area for, for people of Japanese descent. So the same thing happens with low-income people in low-income areas as they try to create a community. I think that mostly when the term social mix is used, it's a social cleansing term, and the whole theory of it has been designed to justify allowing developers to take over low-income areas, claiming that poor people hang out with richer people, that they will somehow be uplifted or become rich themselves, which when you think of it is ridiculous, especially if a lot of the poor people are dealing with issues like physical disability or mental disability or drug use or something like that. It's absolutely ridiculous. And then the social mix quote, social mix housing that does get built like Woodward's, you have 536 condos and 125 supportive housing units. There's no mix. There's a rich door and a poor door, a rich amenity room and a poor amenity room. And because all the businesses that come in on the ground floor cater to the rich people because they make more money, the whole street level becomes a zone of exclusion for the low-income people. When we call for 100%, we always say 100% welfare pension rate so we can get people with pensions in there too, like Chinese seniors or other seniors. And one third of the pension income isn't much higher than the welfare income. It's a 400 and some. So yeah, that's what we call for is 100% welfare pension rate. And we think that those buildings can be run well too, especially if you give the tenants some say over how it's run. I mean, so social mixed housing is okay. 
I think it's actually a good idea if you had an area that had no housing in it and you were putting new housing in it. Yes, of course, it should be socially mixed. But to say you have to have more richer people in a poor neighborhood, that's just going to push out the poor people. Seriously, 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 Yeah, so I don't know, hearing the word landlord over and over again, landlord, it's not something that I'd really thought about before, but it is strange that we call the people who own buildings that we rent from lords, like it's, the, it's, the lords of the land. It's the only place where we use the word lord, really. Yeah, I mean, country. like in royalty in England, I think there's still lords, but their titles are mostly ceremonial. But it's like, yeah, no, just anyone who... It's like if we called our bosses, like, wage lords. <laughs> oh, my wage lord said that I, uh, <laughs> I got to work late today. But... City councillors were called city lords. <laughs> yeah, it, kind of encoded in that is this reverence, maybe, for these lords. You know, it's also a religious word <laughs> called Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. I got two lords. Jesus and my landlord. Those are the lords in my life. <laughs> yeah. There's different spheres of landlords. Like if you're, if you're renting out your house that you own and like that's kind of like the low level landlord if you're renting out like a single property or something. But then there's like the high level landlords of people who just own tons of land and have tons and tons of tenants. That's a true capital L. Lord. Lord yeah. of the land. <laughs> yeah. If you own a business who happens to own like 15 apartment buildings in Vancouver, each worth millions and millions of dollars. I don't know. Yeah, you're a high roller. Maybe we should be calling you a lord. Maybe we should bow down. <laughs> kiss, kiss those feet. Those lord feet. <laughs> I think a lot of people would be willing to kiss feet for affordable rent in this in this market right now. Like, if your landlord came, it's like, I'll knock $100 off your rent every month, but you have to kiss my feet on the first of the month. You said that maybe um, like Jesus, like in the Bible, I could wash their feet with my hair and tears, or is that tears? I forget the Bible, but definitely like the hair thing is in there. Washing the Lord's feet with your hair. That's in the Bible? <laughs> yeah, someone does it to Jesus. I couldn't do it because my hair's not long enough, but mm. I'd grow my hair long and wash my Lord's feet. <laughs> <laughs> with my hair if i could get like this place for like 600 bucks instead of 900 that'd be dope today's episode of the seriously wrong podcast is brought to you by tenant lips special lipstick for tenants to smooch the soft smooth supple feet of their lords of their landlords now you probably only have one landlord, but your landlord has a lot of tenants, a lot of people smooching their feet, and you want your lipstick to stand out. So we offer glittery lipstick, bright pink, bold colors, red, green, blue, colors you've never even heard of, colors your landlord will be grateful to have imprinted on their rich, holy feet. Tenant Lips, special lipstick for kissing the landlord's feet. Proud sponsor of today's episode of Seriously Wrong. Yeah, and on the subject of social exclusion of poor people, you wrote a book called Poor Bashing, The Politics of Exclusion that's about this topic, which I had the pleasure of reading, well, the first half of, but I will finish it. Um, I thought it was a really interesting book about anti-poor sentiment in society. And these, we've got these deep held kind of social biases against low income people. And, and even some of the most reprehensible things that anyone says about anyone is being said about poor people. Well, my question would be, in your terms, what is 
poor bashing and, and why is it important that we're able to name it and and talk about it? Yeah, that's one of the reasons why I ended up choosing that title for the book, Poor Bashing, because I was hoping it would creep into people's vocabulary. So poor bashing is discrimination and stereotyping against people because they have low incomes. And it involves excluding them, calling them names. It involves hate. It involves beating them up. It involves um, throwing beer cans at them when you get out of the pub at night. It involves thinking of poor people as being less than other people, thinking of them as being less intelligent than other people, thinking them of them as being less deserving than other people. And it happens every day in every way against people who are poor. Uh, one woman I interviewed for my book, she said, it happens whenever I go outside. It's really harsh. And it's so harsh that a lot of people blame themselves for the discrimination and the hatred that they feel. I was hoping that one of the things the book would do would be to try and take some of that blame off and show how it was created by society and that it wasn't deserved and that poor people are just as great as everybody else. Something that you had talked about in the book along that subject is that the people who perpetuate and believe most strongly in poor bashing are often those who are most vulnerable to become poorer themselves, like people who are on the margin, they're not receiving social assistance or welfare or anything. But if something happened to them suddenly and they lost their job, then it would be very likely that they they would. Do you have any theory on why anti-poor hatred is so prevalent among the upper poor, the, the, the nearly poor? Actually, I was talking to a guy today who basically said that he hated homeless people. And then after a while revealed that he was sleeping on a friend's couch. So, so close to it. So, what you say is definitely true. I don't know what that is. I don't know what that is. I do know that hatred of the poor is fostered by people who aren't poor. Like in my book, I have all kinds of examples of the corporate think tanks and how they perpetuate stereotypes and demeaning attitudes about people who are poor. I have a little dictionary that I kind of go through about Back in the 90s when I wrote the book, they were saying poor people are dependent. They can't delay gratification. Oh, there's a whole bunch of phrases that were used. They perpetuate these in in the think tanks and then they go into the papers and then they kind of go into everybody's consciousness. So they're not blameless, right? It's not just the people that are on the edge of poverty that feel that way. It's that type of feeling is um, consciously created by people in the upper echelons. It seems that often there's a political advantage to taking the position. The political reason for demeaning people who are poor or the political reason for racism, for example, is so low wages seem justified or so it seems justified to occupy North America if you're Columbus or it seems justified to occupy the downtown east side with condos if you're a developer. If you demean somebody, then it seems okay to take what they have. So there's a lot of political reasons, economic reasons for demeaning people. And if we could stop doing that, I think we could have a way better society. Recently, you were awarded the highest civilian honor in Canada, uh, the Order of Canada by the the federal government for your anti-poverty work. How do you feel about that that great honor? Well, I felt very conflicted at first. I consulted with a few people about whether I should accept it or not. My first feeling was, you know, I'd much rather have the government end poverty and homelessness than give me an award. (laughs) 
And why would the government give me an award for doing things that they have the power to do but haven't? It's not really the government that gives it, but that's the feeling about it. But I ended up accepting it because it does come in handy sometimes. Like where it's come in especially handy for me is friends who have been racially profiled and arrested. And I've been able to write character references for them to try and keep them out of jail. And I can sign it, you know, Gene Swanson, CM, which means Order of Canada. And one time I, there was a horrible article in the Maple Ridge News about the tent city there. And it was... Uh, trashing the tent city. It was trashing me and some friends of mine who had a demonstration in Victoria for housing. And it said that we were thugs. So I wrote a letter basically sticking up for the tent city residents. And then, and I got to sign it, thug and order of Canada recipient. I, th- I had fun doing that. So when, when you look back over the decades of work advocating for people, is there anything that sticks out as proud achievements along the way or, or fun that you had? <laughs> Well, there haven't been very many achievements, let me tell you. Sometimes I say I have a callus on my forehead from bonging it against a brick wall. We got a few little things like the Carnegie Center opened after seven years of work. We got a no condo zone in the downtown east side after three years of work, but it's still not good enough to save the community. We got a welfare cut rolled back once. You know, little thing. Oh, we got a food program. provincially funded food program in low-income schools after five years of work. Nothing is fast. The fun times have been that I always call them capers. When we went into City Hall, that was fun. We had a demonstration one time called Free the Fish. The city was going to spend a whole bunch of money on the aquarium, but what we really needed the money spent on was housing. So we said free the fish and build housing for humans. Oh, and there was another time when uh, it was so funny. The city was considering a law that would allow uh, chickens to be raised in the city. And there was a whole huge council report that had a whole thing about, it was basically about human rights for chickens. And one of our volunteers, Robert Bonner, showed up in our office in a chicken suit because <laughs> I showed him the report and we were, we were like, our minds were blown because we were totally freaked out by homelessness for humans. And they were talking about how chickens needed X number of square feet per each one and they needed a proper home and all this, which which is fine. I mean, I, I'm not disagreeing with that. But anyway, Robert decided that he would go up dressed as a chicken and represent the, I forget the name of the group that it was, like chickens in solidarity with homeless humans and speak about the, the need for housing humans as well as chickens. There's been lots of fun things that we did. You know, the paintings have been really fun where we get a whole bunch of paint and pick a wall and open it up to the community, really community building, open it up to the community to paint what whatever they want. And usually it ends up housing for all. And the poverty Olympics were really fun. We had three poverty Olympics, one each year before the Olympics, 2008, 2009, and 2010. And we had media coverage from all over the world. And we had our own mascots, Creepy the Cockroach, Itchy the Bedbug, and Chewy the Rat. And we had uh, our own games, the Poverty Line High Jump. Oh, my favorite game was the AIDS Vancouver did this one. We had different groups sponsoring different games. There was a housing hurdle. But my favorite game was the broad jump over the bed bug infested mattress. It was hilarious. And we had our own anthem. And the best thing about it was the whole community was involved. We had our own torch, which in the last year we had a torch relay 
that went across the province. And uh, the best thing in, about it was that the whole community was involved. And if anyone went up to anybody who was involved and said, well, why are you doing this? Everybody always said was, if the money that had been spent on the Olympics were spent on ending poverty, it could be ended. And that the message was so clear. This is a very special confirmation bias news report. We now go live to the Vancouver General Hospital where a pandemic has been sweeping the city's landlords. We have our on the ground reporter, Rick Giovanni. Uh, Can you tell us what's going on here? What's the deal? Who's filling up the emergency rooms? Thank you very much, Tom Giovanni, my twin brother. Uh, Yeah, I'm here at Vancouver General Hospital today because it is reaching crisis proportions. Landlords are being wheeled in one after another with strained or broken thumbs. Uh, They've been twiddling their thumbs so feverishly as they watch the property values go through the roof that they're actually causing some permanent damage in some cases. Uh, It's not pretty, I'll tell you that. The people in stretchers uh, wrapping up their thumbs, all that twiddling really does hurt landlords. And it's something that a lot of so-called social justice types don't notice. I've got a landlord right here. Uh, How are your thumbs doing, sir? Terrible. Swollen. They're in so much pain. Pain. And, and how did this happen? Who did this to you? Well, you know, it's like I'm waiting around for all those rent checks to roll in. I'm waiting for my property values to skyrocket disproportionately to the cost of living and wages of normal people. But it's like, what else do you do but twiddle your thumbs? And then ah, they just can't no, don't take tw- it. Don't twiddle them, sir. Don't. <laughs> no, but I, my property values are going up. The rent checks are coming in. This is horrible. This is horrible, Tom. (laughs) No lord deserves this. No lord deserves this. Back to you, Tom. Terrible. Just terrible. You know, I, I was personally affected by this because my grandmother is a landlord and she developed arthritis at the age of 40 from twiddling her thumbs. Just last year, they had to amputate. It's not good. It's not pretty. We'll have more on this as the story develops. Uh, And coming up next on Confirmation Bias News, homeless people. Why does everyone make such a big deal out of it? We investigate. Another thing that Gene and I didn't really get to in this interview that I think is really cool and interesting is some of the endorsements that she's got running for city council. She's been endorsed by... Ann Roberts. Who's Ann Roberts? She's a former city councillor here in Vancouver. Also, Ellen Woodsworth, former city councillor, and Tim Lewis, former city councillor as well, I believe. She was also endorsed by Libby Davies, who is the former deputy leader of the federal NDP. And actually, when Jagmeet Singh was in town, who's now the the leader of the federal NDP, um, he stopped by the rent freeze booth and seemed really into it and got a selfie with them and stuff and thought it was cool. Oh, neat. Um, Although he didn't he didn't, uh, he didn't endorse her. He didn't endorse her, no. Also, the Vancouver Tenants Union has endorsed her unanimously based on her strong policies around protecting renters. Naomi Klein, the author, tweeted about uh, Jean Swanson, saying that she was an inspiring glimpse into what electoral politics could be. And my favorite endorsement is Gabriel Mate, the 
addictions advocate. We've talked about him on the show before. He was in one of the Zeitgeist movies talking about the roots of addiction. He said that Gene Swanson is an admirable, tireless advocate and organizer for a fair and just society, and that her candidacy has his enthusiastic support. Yeah, I love Gabor Mate. I have read, I think, four of his books. And we did an event with him with Zeitgeist Vancouver when I was involved with them. He has great stuff, great work. And I mentioned this to you before, but I think it's funny that he said enthusiastic endorsement because <laughs> he's just not an enthusiastic person. Uh, he, I mean, dealing with addictions and dealing with like really heavy topics, childhood abuse and how... Uh, those things carry on and have effects later in life. Uh, like he's an inspiring person, but just not a very enthusiastic person. But, <laughs> but Gene has made him enthusiastic. Gene, Gene, Gene did it. Gene turned him into is an enthusiastic supporter. <laughs> but yeah, no, he's brilliant. Yeah, I mean, and all of these endorsers and pseudo endorsers are kind of brilliant in their own right. It's a pretty great crew, great posse behind mm-hmm. her. Yeah. <laughs> Gene's posse. Gene's got a posse. There's a housing crisis right now in BC and Vancouver. And like we said before, the highest homelessness count on record. And now you're running for city council in a by-election. What's your plan? What are you going to do once you're in there? So we have three neat things related to housing. The first, of course, is to end homelessness by building modular housing for every homeless person. The city is now going to build 600, but we need we probably need 2,500 If I were in there, I would push to get those happening immediately. I wouldn't stop at 600 per year. The second thing is a rent freeze. We want to just stop rent increases for at least four years, at least in Vancouver. It's provincial, but we would like to open up City Hall to social movements and to people that are working for social and environmental justice and tenants and work with people who are getting basically screwed by the rental situation to put pressure on the city and then the province. And there are things the city could do, like uh, the city could change its permitting process to prevent uh, rent increases uh, after renovations, and we could implement that immediately. The third thing, which is getting a lot of really good press, is the mansion tax. We're saying that if you have a house that's worth $5 million or less, don't worry, we're not going to raise your taxes. But if your house is worth over five million, we'd tax the amount that's over five million by an extra one percent of the assessed value, up to ten million. And then we'd tax the amount over ten million by an extra two percent. So this would mean that, for example, that a guy like Chip Wilson, who owns who is from Lululemon, who has the most expensive house in Vancouver that's worth seventy-five million, he'd have to pay about a million and a half a year in taxes. And we think we could get about 175 million a year. It would house all the homeless people in the first year. In the second year, we could start building social and co-op housing, and we could start giving land back to the three host nations that was stolen from them that they could build housing on or whatever. It's an amazing source of revenue. You know, the feds and the province have access to income tax. The city only has property tax, but income tax is graduated or progressive. So it's a lower rate for poorer people, middle rate for middle higher rate for rich. And there's no reason why property tax shouldn't be like that too. And we've had good response from a couple of academics, um, one who said that richer people won't like it, but there's no reason not to do it. So I'm kind of hopeful that if we keep pushing this, especially if the province does get money out of politics so that the mansion owners won't have so much influence, that we might be able to get it. 
So one of the one of the signature kind of proposals from your campaign is the rent freeze. It's really awesome. You got the 15 foot tall rent freeze sign where the words rent freeze are made out of filled out petitions of people asking for the rent freeze. And but you mentioned that that's uh, potentially within the provincial jurisdiction. And this is one of the uh, probably most common criticisms of the campaign from other campaigns and also from supporters of those other campaigns. For example, I noticed that uh, Pete Fry, the Green Party candidate, mentions on his website, on his pitch to the voters, he mentions your rent freeze in the negative before he talks about any of his ideas. It's like the first paragraph of his, you know, nice to meet you. I'm I'm Pete Fry. You should vote for me. Rent freeze is impossible. Here's my ideas. How do you uh, respond to the criticism that uh, a single city councillor it doesn't have the, the jurisdiction to to bring in a policy like that? Well, that's the difference between Pete and me. And that's the difference between vision and me that Vision and Pete will say, oh, my hands are tied. I can't do what's necessary. And me, I'm going to open up city council to people who are working for justice. And if people say we need a rent freeze, I'll make a motion. We'll get lots of delegations up there. We could get hundreds of delegations up like we had for 105 Kiefer. Maybe we can sway the council members like they did at 105 Kiefer. And maybe things will keep rolling. We'll get some media, get some academics on side, get some pressure on the province, and we'll actually be able to do what's necessary. I'm not going to be the kind of person that says, oh, I can't do that. It's not my jurisdiction when it's necessary. That that keeps people from doing what's necessary. We need to open up our democracy so that we can use it for what we need. And that's the kind of counselor I want to be. I want a counselor like that. Is there anything uh, in your platform, is there anything that you're fighting for that is strictly and unambiguously in the city's jurisdiction that that, that you're advocating for? Sure. So one thing is uh, renovations. So the city has this policy, tenant relocation and protection policy, where they can, if a developer comes and wants a renovation permit, then the city can require him to do certain things. And right now they require him to uh, give the tenant so many months notice, pay for moving expenses, and they can even require them to provide new accommodation at 20% less than the market rent. So what we would do if we got in is try and change that, which is in the city's jurisdiction, so that a developer could not get a building permit or a development permit unless they had a signed contract with all of the tenants saying that they could come back at the old rent. There's another thing we could do that would be really good. The city has a good standards of maintenance bylaw, which we helped write back in the 70s. And it says in section 23.8 that the city can go in and do the work in buildings where repairs are necessary if the landlord won't and build the landlord. And if the landlord doesn't pay, they can put it on his taxes. And if he doesn't pay his taxes, they can take the building. But the city won't enforce that. It won't use that section. There's no reason that these slum buildings like the Balmoral Hotel should be closed, pushing out 173 people and closing off 173 spots in a city where we have over 2,000 homeless people. It's disgusting. And we should use the laws that we have to their fullest extent. And that's what I do. And one of the questions I feel that's at play here in Vancouver is is kind of what what type of city do we want to be? What type of society do we want to be? What, what world do we want to live in? What world do we want to make together? So I guess my question for you is what type of society do you want to live in? What type of society do you want to, to co-create with us? And, and, and what do you want to build here? 
So I've been working against poverty all my life, so of course it would be nice to have a society that didn't have poverty in it. What's happening in the city now is everybody that isn't rich is being pushed out. So we need policies that bring people back. I had a great meeting with hotel workers, and the bus fare is killing them coming to work, and they can't afford parking if they drive. And they're beautiful, wonderful people. <laughs> it's ridiculous on a from a humane point of view and from an environmental point of view to have a city where the people that do the hard work can't even live in it and where people are homeless when other people live in $75 million mansions. Good social housing and co-op housing like they have in Vienna and free transit and free internet. And I just have a society where people are all included regardless of their gender or race or income. And the thing is, there's been all kinds of research that shows that that's better for everybody, even the rich. If you Google equality trust, there's all kinds of epidemiological evidence that if you have a more equal society, it's better for, it reduces racism, it reduces sexism, it creates a higher life expectancy, there's less teenage pregnancies, there's higher voter turnout. Chip Wilson, we want this equality for you too, so you can have a longer life expectancy. The inequality is really harsh on people, you know, like homeless people having half the life expectancy as other people, and poor people have 10 or 12 fewer years of life than other people, richer people. There's no reason why why we can't have policies that end that, no reason whatsoever, and we need them, and let's go for them. That's what I'm saying. Let's go for them. Let's open up our democracy, get a little bit militant, and go for those policies that we need. The slogan is... Uh, bringing a revolution to City Hall. But <laughs> be nice to have some more equality, that's for sure, and that's what I'm going to fight for. Welcome to Keyboard Warrior Radio Theater. You know, I don't usually weigh in on politics, but I've been looking at this local by-election, and I can't believe that this Gene Swanson wants to institute a mansion tax, a so-called mansion tax. Just because someone owns a property that costs a little bit more money doesn't mean that they need to be bled dry paying tons of extra money. Who do you think are the people creating jobs? Who do you think are the people paying the wages of the tenants? It's people who own quote unquote mansions. I'm grateful to my wage lord who owns a mansion and pays my wages. And I don't think he should have to pay a penny more. Hey, Chris, I know you from like a non-political thing, and I've never really had a political conversation with you or whatever. So this is kind of not sure about making this post, but I really care about this. So I wanted to make some points clear to you that maybe you didn't understand. Well, first, Gene's mansion tax is specifically to target the out of control problem of street homelessness. This is a fully costed plan to end street homelessness in Vancouver in one year. It's also a tax that is 1% of value assessed over 5 million. So if your mansion is worth $4,999,000, this tax won't affect you at all. And if your house is worth $5,001,000, it's only going to be a raise of your taxes by one penny. This tax is only applies to value beyond $5 million. And if it's beyond $10 million, it's a tax of 2%. This is a small price to pay for some of the richest people, not only in the country, but sometimes some of the richest people on earth, to end homelessness once and for all here in Vancouver. I think it's a price that I'm willing to pay. 
Oh, wow. I, d I didn't realize that it was a fully developed plan that would actually end homelessness, that would take all of the homeless people in the downtown east side and all over Vancouver, one of the largest homeless populations on the planet. It's a big problem. I see it every day and actually end that within one year. That's crazy. And only one or two percent for people over five million dollars. I'm sure they can afford that. That seems completely reasonable. And ending homelessness. Wow. Yeah, I'm going to vote for Gene Swanson. Thanks for letting me know. I wasn't I wasn't aware of all the details. Hey, no problem. I know a lot of the times here on Facebook, when you get in a conflict like this, it ends really well and everyone has the best possible position at the end. I'm glad that this could be one of those times. Thanks a lot, Chris. Take care. Yeah, thanks for making great arguments. And uh, thanks to me for not taking any of it personally or digging in my feet uh, when I'm wrong about something. This is one of the great things about Facebook conversations is that I see this type of thing all the time. And this is just one of those times. So see you later. See you later. Facebook is great. Political discussions on Facebook turn out well. It's great. Thanks. And we'll see you next time for another episode of Keyboard Warrior Radio Theater. So one of the cool things from Gene's platform that we didn't touch on in the interview is, well, first of all, in BC, if you're a landlord and you own multiple properties in different municipalities, you can vote in each municipality that you own property. Uh, so you can vote more than once. So if you own a large company like Boardwalk or something and you own apartment buildings in like 10 cities across BC, you can vote in all of them? It might just apply if you're like a personal owner. I'm not sure if it applies to like corporations. Right. Oh, okay. Okay. But so early leading up to the election, the city invites landlords to register to vote, uh, like property owners to register to vote early, but they don't have that opportunity for renters. And actually back in the 70s and 80s in Vancouver, it used to be that they would send people door to door doing voter enumeration. So visiting each door, seeing if there's any eligible renters there and then giving them uh, the capacity to register at that time and be ready for the election, which they no longer do. That was cut by like a right wing municipal government because tenants tend to vote more left wing. Right. Yeah. So it's not in the interests of the ruling powers of the city to encourage more renters, i.e. more poor, lower income people to vote. It's in their interest to encourage more property owners to vote because they will probably vote for them. Yeah. And so Jean has made it explicitly clear on her platform that she's going to fight to restore that voter enumeration to make sure that everyone who's eligible to vote in Vancouver is given the opportunity to do so. And it's actually something that while some things in Jean's platform, it's ambiguous whether or not the city can do it alone. This is something that very clearly the city can do alone and would make a really big impact. So it's something that I'm a big fan of. And if, if she was elected, I think it'd be a high priority to push that through in the first term because it would pay dividends down the road to have a more engaged and active voting base. I'm just blown away by the awesomeness of the people that are working on my campaign. I went out and had sushi with five of them the other night, and they were just such amazing, amazing people. Jack Gates, who is the hero of the downtown east side because he's taken on the slumlords at considerable risk to his own personal self when the city wouldn't take them on. And his friend Mohammed, who got donated heaters for the Lion Hotel folks when they had no heat. And Beverly Ho, who's been organizing fiercely for 105 Kiefer with the Chinese elders. And uh, Sam and his little son, 
talon. Sam does everything. He does absolutely everything. He, you know, picking up flyers to organizing a fundraiser at the Dosa house to driving me around. And that's just, you know, a little small sampling. The art in this campaign is amazing. Maddie, well, the banner that you talked about, the rent freeze banner, the 15 foot rent freeze banner, that was a really touching scene where an elderly friend of my late partner came to our fundraiser and we were trying to figure out how do we have something that makes a hook that brings people out to this rent freeze news conference we're having. And this friend who is from a city councilor in Smithers had this idea of making a banner with the petitions. And he was talking to Maddie, our young artist in our campaign. And the next thing you know, Maddie and the others in the campaign have produced this 15-foot banner using his ideas. And he was thrilled. You know, he took a picture of it to take back to Smithers. And then Maddie made the notice of assessment that we gave to the fake Chip Wilson, who was wearing a a Chip Wilson Max. And there's another woman who's making uh, Tax the Rich wallets out of recycled file folders. So there's an amazing amount of art and banners and and stuff that is happening in this campaign. And the people who are working are just working their hearts out. And most of them are doing it for free. And, uh, you know, I, I, they're the wave of the future. I guess it sounds trite, but I have all kinds of confidence that with them around, we're, we're going to get a better society by hook or crook. I can absolutely understand that renters who are listening are going, yes, this is a fabulous idea. But what do you say to landlords about the fairness uh, of, you know, freezing them for four years when they're also facing increasing costs? So first of all, it's not right for people to always take the landlord's side, the richest person's side. Why doesn't somebody say, what about the poor tenants? What about the tenants that are having to pay these extra costs? Second thing is, Rents are generally not based on costs. They're based on what the market will bear. I was looking at some uh, real estate listings for apartment buildings for sale, and they actually have the amount of expenses that are paid. And for I looked at about five of them, and in all of them, the amount of expenses that the landlord had to run the apartment, including everything, taxes and everything, was about one-third of their revenue. You know, the landlords are making a profit and the tenants are suffering. And it's not just tenants because it's because tenants have to pay so much of their such a high percentage of their income for rent. They have less left to spend like in restaurants or in stores. So it's bad for other businesses besides the landlord business. So, Gene, there's a couple of different things going on here. And look, let's use me as the example. I rent in Coquitlam. I know that my landlord is allowed to legally put up my rent. I think it, what is it? The rate of inflation plus whatever percent is allowable legally. Four percent this year. Exactly. So you're saying a rent freeze. So is it freezing it at those rates? We want the legal rent increase to be zero for the next four years until there's a new provincial government and then reassess it and see if the freeze needs to stay in Okay. Are you concerned at all, Jean, about unintended consequences? So I'm going to go back to landlords. I'm playing devil's advocate here. Sure, there are some landlords who are probably gouging and figure if I can get it, I'm going to do it. But I think there's a lot of good landlords out there too. And do you think, what if some of them say, you know what, it's not worth the hassle. I'm just going to sell the place and take it right out of the rental pool? Well, if they, they could sell the place, but that doesn't necessarily mean that the buyer would take it out of the rental pool. 
It doesn't necessarily, but if it's starting, if, if you are thinking, well, I'm going to buy an investment property and I'm going to put it out there for rent. And now you're going to, you're going to freeze my ability to increase rent for four years. Well, maybe I'm not. I'm just going to sell it. Like what is the advantage to a landlord to even rent to someone if they can't keep up with the cost of living? Well, one of the great advantages that landlords have is the advantage of property appreciation. Property has been appreciating a lot in Vancouver lately. There was a study that said that people who own property make more money twiddling their thumbs and waiting for their property to appreciate than they do by working. So landlords have that advantage. They're getting uh, increased value from property appreciation. They don't have to get all of their revenue from the tenants. So I, I think it would kind of would be a sob story if they couldn't, if they thought they couldn't exist with a rent freeze for four years. Robot father, robot father. Yes, I have a robot que- son, robot adult son. I have a question for you, robot father. Why do the humans let other humans live out on the streets when they already have so many empty houses? I agree, robot son. That is highly illogical. They should end homelessness. It only takes political will. Humans already initiate, follow through, and complete massive infrastructure plans, building entire cities, museums, amusement parks. It seems like housing a few thousand homeless people would be easy. Does not compute. Father, help. Help compute. Sun robots like us with our waterproof resin outer layer can survive indefinitely on the streets, but to humans it is often fatal. It makes no sense that in a society as rich as this there is even a single homeless person. There is a great imaginative and moral failing of the elected leaders of humans, Adult Robot Son. Adult Son, are you are you down in the basement listening to those damn supercomputers again? They don't they don't understand anything. Yeah, Dad, I was just I needed a place to twiddle my thumbs and wait for you to die to inherit the properties. So it's just I don't know. They don't make a lot of sense, but they're fun to listen to sometimes, even though they're stupid. Yeah, we thought inventing supercomputers would be a great idea, but they they just don't get it. That's why they're down in the basement of our mansion. Anyway, get out of there. It's time to get up. Stop twiddling your thumbs. Your mother wants to go for a horse ride to the lake. We're going to take the gold plated boat out for a spin. Oh, boy, the gold plated boat. Okay, I'll be right there. Uh, I love you, rich dad. And I love you, rich adult son. So I want to thank Jean for inviting me into her home to do this interview and sharing some really interesting stories about the stuff she's done in activism and the stuff that she'd hoped to do in City Hall. Hearing her stories of being involved in this since the 1970s, it makes me feel like a baby, first of all, and also a fake activist because I don't do any of these things. I <laughs> talk on Facebook and sometimes into microphones, but like, yeah, no, she's real shit. She's like following through on her principles and the things she believes and like really trying to make those changes happen despite setbacks. And as she said, like not necessarily achieving all the things that they've wanted to achieve or many of the things that they wanted to achieve at all. Yeah. The things that they got, it took like five years of hard work. And then I'd say that Jean is one of the first 
people that I've been able to speak to who I could like really look up to as an activist, like over a long period of time mm. and like not have any reservations about being like, yeah, this is amazing work. She's really putting her money where her mouth is consistently like homeless people and drug addicted people are human beings. They deserve dignity and we can do more to help them. We can do more to help each other in society. And I'm going to like wake up every day and try to lend a hand. Yeah. And that's like, that's fucking crazy. It's amazing. Yeah, it's, it's a lot of dedication to do that for like <laughs> 40 years or more. Um, even in Vancouver media, when she's being criticized by either other parties or like pundits or whatever, because she's seen as too radical or whatever, mm -hmm. almost always they'll say like, Jean Swanson's a great person. She's got great values, but her policies are bad. It's never like, she's a horrible person. These are horrible policies, which right. you typically see in like a partisan race. But like, because Jean's been around so long, she was awarded the Order of Canada right. and all this other stuff. Her opponents, they don't have the tool to personally slander her. So it allows <laughs> her message to go a little further. Um, and also just as an anecdote about how she's like a really cool person is when I was over at her house doing this interview, she really wanted to feed me some scrambled eggs. Uh, <laughs> she didn't have any scrambled eggs already made or anything. Yeah, like it wasn't that. like leftovers from her. Like she made too many for herself. Or no, something. it was like we were wrapping up and I, w I was like, okay, this was like a great interview. I'll let you know when it's up and like, thanks. And she's like, oh, are you hungry? Like I can make you some scrambled eggs. I'm like, no, no, it's okay. And she's like, well, I, yeah, we could. Uh, and I was like, oh, that's so sweet. That's, that's really nice. And actually another time Jean Swanson gave me cookies. No part of it was artificial. It was completely organically Jean Swanson just giving me cookies because she made some cookies and she wanted to share. That's a real experience <laughs> for my life. How can you not love that? How can yeah. you not love Jean Swanson? Well, I mean, <laughs> everyone likes cookies. <laughs> it's really cool. Like we've got this opportunity now here in Vancouver to elect an activist city councilor who's going to push the boundaries of what's possible in their office. They've got a really good record. They're someone that is eminently trustworthy, positive reputation. And in this by-election, we've got a chance to elect Gene. And, and, and I'd be really excited if that happened. Well, this was brought up in the interview that a rent freeze is actually technically, it would have to be instituted at a provincial level. So it's not something that she could do. And also she's just one city councillor. Like, how how does that happen? How do I get my goodies, my rent-freeze goodies that I want? Yeah, so, well, I mean, part of it is ambiguous because it's very, very unambiguously this could happen at the provincial level. But I wouldn't rule out the possibility that something could be done at the municipal level. It's just it would require some work and it would require, like, looking over a bunch of old bylaws and stuff. You could find a place to make it work. And I, I'm not an expert on this, but I'm, I am skeptical of the idea that municipalities can't fight for the right to do things and implement them or like have city council pass a motion to have a rent freeze and then either be able to find a way to do it themselves or work together with the senior government to make it happen. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah but yeah. as being the position of, of one person on a city council, I think it, you're not in charge if you're just one person of 10 on a city right, council. Right, right, right. But I think having the voice of an activist there, having the voice of someone who is listening to the grassroots and is trying to open up city hall to activists, I think it could really change the overall tone of the discussion. And I think a lot of 
city councilors and stuff, there's kind of like this professional type of myopia that comes with that. What is possible, what is not possible gets kind of distorted. And there isn't really room for dreaming or Mm -hmm. for like trying to push for things. And to put someone in there who is pushing for things, who is dreaming, who's working together with the grassroots, I think a lot more can be achieved. Even like in this election so far, everyone else's campaigns is being completely framed by Gene. All the other people who are running for city council, they're all kind of in the shadow of Gene's rhetoric and Gene's hopes and Gene's what, what Gene is striving to fight for. Everyone else is being framed by her. So even from the bully pulpit of just being a city council candidate, she's already shifting the Overton window. Like, for example, the, the ruling party, Vision Vancouver, announced that their candidate is supporting giving the municipal vote to permanent residents who aren't Canadian citizens who live in Vancouver, mm-hmm. which is something that's in Gene's platform. And there's other examples of that. It was like, Gene put out this, this radical agenda, and then all the other parties are kind of picking and choosing from it what they think they can bear to put into their platform and stuff like that. <laughs> right, right. And so I think putting her onto city council, it would have the same effect except amplified and it could probably affect provincial and federal levels also to have that person there yeah it seems to me that even if you're someone who thinks that she's too radical that her policy goals are unrealistic if you're at all sympathetic to the plight of homeless people and poor people in vancouver and the the housing market situation you could still want to see her elected just to have that voice on the council. And if you think she's too radical, feeling safe in the notion that well, she's just one of 10, like obviously she's not the mayor and all 10 city councillors and it's just like Jean, Jean City now. Um, <laughs> I mean, you and I might not mind that, but yeah, it just seems to me that it's good to have that, like a little bit more of a, a diversity of, of perspectives and less of that myopia you were talking about. And she has got a plan to end homelessness in a year. And she, she said there was like 2,000 homeless people in Vancouver, which is, is like, yes, that's a lot of people. But yeah, it's, it's like, like it's build five apartment buildings. <laughs> like It's really not that crazy of an idea. I think the homeless count was 2,100 something. And then that's also potentially an underestimate because a lot of people don't self-report as homeless or right. they're like living on couches or other stuff like right, that. Right, right, Or a bunch of them are crowded in one suite illegally and mm-hmm. things like that. Yeah. But she's got a plan costed where the money is going to come from, how to house the homeless in one year and just be like Vancouver actually ended homelessness. And when the ruling party vision Vancouver promised that in 2008 and didn't deliver to end homelessness, I think, I don't know, it's, it's fucking awesome. I'm, I'm a big fan of the campaign. I'm, I'm a big fan of Jean. Yeah. I hope she wins. So yeah, if you live in Vancouver, October 14th is voting day. So you can vote for Jean. You can vote for anyone you want, but I'd say Jean's a good option. There's also this watermelon lady running and she seems kind of goofy, but she's promising free public transit and saving our dispensaries. I don't know if our dispensaries are under attack. They not, seem they seem really. to be going fine. Yeah. I think she's somehow involved in selling pot. I was at a movie at the film festival yesterday and her ad kept playing over and over again. And the guy next to me started laughing. And I was like, why, like, why are you laughing? And 
And he was like, you know who she is? And I was like, I don't know. No. He's like, she's a staple on commercial drive, like runs a front business. And I shouldn't say this on the podcast. I don't know if any of it's true, but apparently she was selling pot or something. I don't know. She's a pot dealer or something. Yeah. She, I, I remember her selling baked pot goods at rec beach for like years before it was mm. kind of pseudo legal like it is. But I mean the thing, no, no disrespect to watermelon or any of the other candidates. They all just really, really pale in comparison to Jean. I mean, on the issue of dispensaries in Vancouver and protecting them, our provincial government right now has been very, very friendly to dispensaries Mm -hmm. and has made it clear that as marijuana is being legalized, that they're going to continue being friendly to dispensaries here in this province. Not all provinces are going to be friendly to their existing dispensaries, but BC is. And then also additionally, the free transit thing is like an activist thing that's beyond a city councillor to do. It's also something that's part of Gene's platform and that Gene has, I think, a more credible route to fighting to move towards free transit. Is it, does she actually say free too? Because I, when I heard that, I was like, that sounds a little crazy. Like, yes, cheap. When Mina Wong was running for mayor, she was talking about $40 a month transit passes, which I was like, oh yeah, yeah. Like that makes sense. It's yeah, affordable was- and like not too much money, but free seems like, well, don't they, they do have to like pay to keep the transit thing running somehow. Jean's policy point on that, if I recall correctly, is that it's moving towards a free transit system with an emphasis on low income people. So like in Calgary, they've got a $5 a month pass for low income people where you can right. use unlimited transit for five bucks a month nice. uh, if you meet the income requirements. Right, and right, I think right. that would be more the type of thing that Jean would be fighting for based on what I've heard her say. So yeah, thank you, Jean, for coming on and Sean for doing the interview and you, the listener, for listening. Yeah, you can find us online at seriouslywrong.com, S-R-S-L-Y-W-R-O-N-G.com. And if you want to become one of our beautiful genius Patreon subscribers who sends a little money our way every month to make sure that we can keep making the show as high quality as we can, we greatly appreciate that. And to everyone who's already doing that, thank you so much. You get bonus episodes if you do. Bonus epis. Bonus epis. Thanks for listening, everyone. <laughs> we'll see you later. We're going to ask David Hutniak what he thinks as well when he joins us at 345. The CEO of Landlord BC. Uh, Laura's in Vancouver. Welcome to Stealing Tracks. Hi, thank you for taking my call. I'm a landlord and a realtor. And I think the, the candidate missed the boat on a number of points. Property taxes aren't going to freeze. My monthly maintenance fees won't freeze. And I'm faced right now with putting in a new washing machine into a unit. I haven't raised my rent in four years. We're not all scum. We're nice people, and we work really, really hard to have these properties. If you were forced, Laura, if you were forced to freeze your rents for four years, what would you do? If someone's making me do something that I'm already voluntarily doing, I'd sell. Hmm. So then there's unintended consequences. Thanks for the call. Donna's in Langley this afternoon. Welcome to Steel and Drex. Hi, I'm a landlord, and I can tell you horror story after horror story of, uh, of tenants that I've had. You cannot get them out. Uh, they don't pay their rent. They do massive damage that far exceeds their damage deposits. They lie on their application form. I'm really not happy with what she said about landlords sit back and collect money. You know, that's not how it is at all. And so when they make it an even playing field and I can protect my property and hold my tenants to what they say they do, that they work, that who I rent to is who's going to be living there, I'm fine with that. I have a house in Maple Ridge. I haven't raised the rent on that house in over five years because I finally have excellent tenants. 
Ah, so that's the key. Good tenants equals even more fairness from the landlord. I think she makes a great point. Do you want, do you want to get in this last guy Yeah, really let's quickly? get Aaron. Aaron Langley, you've got, a, you've got 30 seconds here. What do you want to say? Yeah, um, I'm a landlord as well, and I agree with uh, pretty much all the other landlords. But not only that, you know what? We have a mortgage to pay. Uh, you know, we worked really hard to uh, make ourselves some money, and we want to do an investment property. And, you know, we got to pay the second or third or fourth mortgage as well and uh, pay more every uh, every year that we renew. Yeah, yeah that's what? interesting. Thanks, Eric. What do you think about that? Hi, uh, another landlord here. First, I just want to say I agree with the landlord so far, really on the nose. I was just sitting here twiddling my thumbs, waiting for my property value to go up. So I had a little bit of time to call into the show. I got to tell you, there's some horror stories about the way that some of my tenants have been treating their chickens. You know, these chickens are crowded in there. There's no place for these chickens to go. It, it's their their asses to elbows in these cages. And the way the tenants think it's all right to treat them that way it is just despicable. And I think all of us landlords need to come together and fight for the rights of chickens against tenants. Uh, thank you. You know, that's interesting. We've got a lot of landlords. A lot of great calls, too. Hi. Yeah, uh, I'm, I'm also a landlord. And I just want to say, yeah, I agree with the other landlords. They seem like they were making some really great points. But one thing that a lot of people don't talk about when you're discussing landlords and landlord rights is that landlords historically have been a group that in some countries have been genocided, murdered, uh, all of them. And, you know, when people are advocating for the rights of oppressed groups, groups who have historically been the victims of genocide, for some reason, landlords never come up. And I don't know, just seems like a curious silence on the part of so-called anti-oppression activists that they're not talking about the landlords because uh, we've had it rough. Look at history. Read some history books. That's all I'm going to say. I'm wrong. You're wrong. He's wrong. She's wrong. They're wrong. We're wrong. You're wrong. You're wrong. I am wrong. We are Next time on Seriously Wrong, Jean and candidates like her around the world end the dehumanizing and murderous scourge of poverty and homelessness around the world.